Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution. Stay tuned as we analyze Canadian news and Black issues on a weekly basis. And if you like what you hear, if you think we've got the sauce, subscribe. On this week's episode, we discuss some of the top headlines from the week of April 25th, including... Ontario's essential workers finally have paid sick leave, inadequate as it may be. The ongoing debate on the Ontario border. Hate crimes in Edmonton, Alberta. Anti-blackness at a TD Bank location in Ottawa. India is drowning under COVID-19's third wave. Another $1.8 trillion comes from Moneybag Joe to serve American families. Jeez! And plenty more. To kick off our politics segment. So on April 19th, Doug Ford tearfully promised Ontarians we'd had the best sick leave program in North America (laughs) after having to walk back his dumb decision to try carting our way out of the third wave. This, despite his own science table, instead calling for the closures of non-essential businesses like warehouses and factories, where 25% of cases in the GTA stem from, coupled with monetary support, i.e. paid sick leave. Over a week later, and despite the Ontario government trying drastically to avoid it by instead calling on the federal government to enhance the federal benefit, and seeing major pushback in return, Labour Minister Monty McNaughton finally, finally tabled legislation for paid sick leave. As of April 29th, Ontario essential workers now have access to, drumroll please, the perfectly adequate... Definitely what the science table calls for. Three days of paid sick leave. (laughs) Note, that is not what the science table asked for. They asked for 10. Anyway, the legislation will give employees three paid days of emergency leave, which can be claimed for a variety of reasons related to COVID-19, including signs of illness, to receive a test, to care for a sick child, or to get vaccinated. Businesses will pay for the program up front and they'll be reimbursed up to $200 per day per employee through WSIB. The bill was tabled by the Labour Minister Friday morning and quickly passed through Queen's Park with the support of opposition parties, despite them continuing to call for increasing the amount of sick days allowed based on the science. Official opposition NDP leader Andrea Horvath said the bill is, quote, a pitifully inadequate solution to address the issues faced by frontline workers on a daily basis, end quote. And I hear that. Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca, who, by the way, has been leading in the polls as of the week of the 19th, said, quote, the length of time it takes for an individual to get tested, to get in the clear, to potentially isolate. All of this is how we landed on the number 10, end quote. Like, hello? Uh. Or as Tyler Perry would say, hello? Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Looks like yet another line is being drawn in the sand for the next election, this time around, for paid sick leave, 
because I know the Ontario NDP is saying 10 paid sick days should be permanent, while the Ontario Liberals say they support paid sick leave being permanent as well or past the pandemic. But they're open to a discussion about how long that should be, which, of course, is a signal to them being open to collaborating with businesses on the issue. So now, patients, I know you're super busy on multiple fronts right now, including due to your little one on the way. <laughs> but did you get the chance to, you know, see the progression of the sick leave debate this week? I mean, I, other than the sheer disappointment of the three days, honestly, I, I didn't see very much. Please give me the, 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 the details. I mean, it was it was really um, it, it was a circus to, to see it because I, I would watch different interviews, whether it be on. Uh, CP24 or TVO, you know, and it would be whether it's the labor minister or Bethlen Falvey, the finance minister. And these guys would go on these networks trying to point fingers at the federal program. Oh. I mean, they, they literally went from saying they'd have the best system in North America. Right. Right. To saying, OK, no, there won't be a provincial plan. And instead calling for the federal program, like I just said, yeah. and they wanted to expand that four weeks or expand it to four weeks and then double the amount that's being given to employees to a thousand per week Wow! with Ontario covering the top up. But that was a no go for the feds. They even voted against the NDP and liberal bills. That's Ontario. by the Yes. I saw that. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. As as recently as the 26th, just last week, Michael Coteau introduced a bill in the legislature. All this flailing back and forth, all because they don't want their donor friend businesses cost to go up. It's, 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 it's astounding. Yeah. And Ontarians have had to pay the price. You know, I was, I was watching Resh Munir on CP24 interview Peter Bethlen Palby, the finance minister, and she had to point blank, straight up, ask him, listen, man, okay, she didn't say listen, <laughs> man, but the, the, the science table has now repeatedly, they've had to repeatedly come out every single time you've made an announcement now to essentially refute what you said or clarify what should have been announced yep. by you. Why should anybody believe you when you say that, one, you're trying to implement the best program in North America, or that, two, the best program is is the federal program, when you have responsibility over this jurisdiction? It's a perfect example of, pol- like, this is politics, right? Like, this is not yeah. science. Like the science table is giving you the science. And by the time you get to the mic, it's politics. It's crazy. Well, uh, moving on to more news from Ontario, Doug Ford, the incognito premier continues to try to place blame for the rise in COVID cases on the border, despite only 1% of cases being attributable to international travel in Ontario and 2% being responsible for cases across the country. We've been speaking about that on an ongoing basis. Uh, Apparently, many people haven't been hearing our episodes, though. So we thought we'd give a recap of the travel restrictions Canada has in place. They are among the most stringent in the world. For more than a year now, 95% of travel to Canada has been suspended. Anyone still crossing in from the U.S. is either, one, a permanent citizen or Canadian returning home, two, an essential worker, or three, an exception that isn't required to quarantine in a hotel like airplane travelers because they've already had a PCR test done in addition to quarantining for two weeks in the U.S. There's also the fact that travelers have uh, have to have a negative PCR test issued within 72 Mm -hmm. hours. 
further. Travelers are then tested again upon arrival. They then have to undergo police uh, enforceable quarantine. And finally, a third test is done on day eight of their quarantine to ensure a negative result. So when you consider the data on transmission, right, and the stringent measures we have in place, it's clear that Doug Ford's claims are just a political yep. play. That's, that's the point I was just talking about. In fact, Doug Ford's been sending out fundraising emails to his supporters claiming he's been begging the feds to do something about the border forever and claiming that as the problem. Pointing out the farce in Ford's argument about federal travel restrictions being the source of Ontario's problems, PM Trudeau said, quote, we've watched the Atlantic provinces severely limit domestic travel with very strong measures. They didn't require the support or intervention or the permission of the federal government to do it, end quote. It's also funny that Dougie was calling for travel, uh, travel restrictions to be lifted as recently as December. And yes, I get that we're in a different place now. But the math ain't changed, <laughs> my guy. <laughs> I mean, look, patience. have you had any conversations about travel restrictions with your friends or colleagues? Yo, so I have uh, so many, like family friends and, and friends who have gone to Africa in, in the first quarter of this year and were oh, slapped wow. across the face with a $1,400 ho- hotel bill, which mm. everybody needs to pay. I think Trudeau made it very, very clear that when you enter back into this country, citizen or not, you're going to a hotel. There will be police on every floor managing your egress and ingress so you can't go nowhere they give you three square meals a day like you're in prison fam (laughs) (laughs) yo there's not any there isn't more that they can do in terms of you know federally man like at, at the federal level managing international travel like they other than completely removing people's rights which i I'm a really big fan of the fact that we haven't removed people's rights to mobility, either within the country or uh, between countries, because that, that's a really big human right. So right. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that. And I think they're doing everything that they possibly can to discourage travel. You know, $1,400 is a, is, a, is a lot of money, fam. Like, I, I don't have $1,400 to just throw away because I want to... I, I want to go to, to to Nigeria for a couple of weeks. Like, no, absolutely not. Like, hmm. like I mean, the fourteen hundred dollars wouldn't even pay for your flight tonight. That, that's what I'm that, saying. Right? It, so you have to pay for your flight, come back. You have to cover your COVID tests. I think COVID tests are two hundred and fifty dollars. I know folks will will correct me if I'm wrong, but COVID tests when you're when you're electing to do them um, voluntarily to leave the country, they're not free anymore. Or, or they weren't free for a while. Let me say they, they, they may be free again. But when you're when you're going when you're getting the, the COVID test so that you can go to Nigeria to enjoy yourself, you're paying them. Like this is not a joke. Mm-hmm. So th- there are so many additional costs, all of which are making travel difficult. So yeah. I like honestly leave the man alone. Like he's helping the hotel industry if nothing else, Trudeau. Um, and like if people really have this amount of money to travel, that they're they're gonna do it. Um, but travel restrictions are super super tight. Oh, really really important in terms of people being like, oh well, if it was me traveling, I would just go home. Uh, whatever the ticket yeah. or the fine 
for not going to the hotel that you've already prepaid for, by the way. So you have to prepay and show it to customs when you enter the country. The yeah. the fine for not doing that is $7,500. So if you pay the $1,400 uh, for, for the hotel, which you have to do to get into the country, and you go home, like you take an Uber home or you get a ride home, and you don't ever show up at a hotel, you're, they're fining you. $7,500. So I, I, I understand that completely, but I, I'm just trying to think back to a conversation. I don't remember who I had it with, but they were, I guess you know, erroneously at this point saying like, for many people, they just pay the fine and, and say, fuck the hotel because I, and maybe they were wrong again, but they were saying that people effectively did have the choice. You didn't have to go to the hotel, but you pay the fine. Mm -hmm. But like, if you got the money, you got the money. Yeah. Well, maybe, yeah. If if you can afford a $7,500 fine, good on you. I also think that there, there's probably been some movement. I think the fine, Maybe used to be twenty five hundred. Now is seventy five hundred. Which again, either way, right. fam, you're not getting that from me. <laughs> like, right. I don't have it. So I yeah. ain't about that life. <sighs> <sighs> I, you know, it's it's wild. I I was on um, social media as I am time to time, and uh, or from time to time, and uh, I was looking at a. I was looking at the comment section of a blog TO article talking about the, the paid sick days and the fact that Doug Ford is still trying to point fingers at travel. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, you know, maybe it's not alarming for us because we, we talk about this, including the fact that unfortunately about 49% of Canadians are effectively illiterate, mm-hmm. but um, it was really crazy to see a whole bunch of people, young people in particular who don't didn't understand the context that because only 1% of cases were coming from travel but 25% were coming from warehouses and factories that we should be focusing on the warehouses mm-hmm. and factories doesn't mean that all of a sudden we're going to open up travel mm-hmm. right and, and i'm saying this in directly in response to me making a comment saying listen the, the facts are yeah. pretty clear you know, this is the staff for warehouses. This is staff for travel. Let's focus on where we yeah. need to focus on. How people can't grasp that? I mean, look, I we need more education. Yeah, all the reasons, whatever. But it's just it's it's alarming. It's really alarming. It's really Fem, alarming. People can't even grasp so. that the vaccine. Um, works in 99.97 you know, percent of cases like people can't even grasp like people will focus so much on the 0.03 percent that you know of, of cases in which it won't be in which it won't work which is like this vaccine has better effectiveness than like most of our drugs like people don't yeah. get it like oh. it's a shame yeah but uh anyway I, uh, I thought I'd end this Ontario segment on some relatively good news. So uh, we're actually doing all right when it comes to vaccines, y'all. Uh, as of Friday the 30th, 40% of the province has received at least one dose of the vaccine. So that's 5,139,984. Uh, education workers will be able to book their vaccine appointments starting May 3rd. That's great. And on the weeks of May 10th and May 17th, Millennials will be able to get our shots, baby. That's May 10th for those 40 plus 
and May 17th for those 30 plus. And finally, Gen Z will get their shots the week of May 2-4 weekend. Lucky them. In less savory news, there have been reports that more, quote, Canadian-born Ontarians are getting vaccinated than new Ontarians. And for example, on the day the data was collected, which was, I think, Thursday, 38% of long-term or Canadian-born residents have gotten the vaccine versus 28% of vaccine coverage among immigrant groups, 22% among refugees, and 12% among new OHIP registrants. It's it's pretty problematic, mm. no doubt. But I also know that the province late last week said they'd follow the science table's advice to send 50% of doses to all 114 hotspots by between the first and second weeks of May. And uh, before that announcement, only 25% of vaccines were being sent to the hotspots. So we should see some change pretty soon. Mm-hmm. So are you ready to take your shot? Are you? How are you feeling about this whole kind of, you know, move to herd immunity or whatever we're calling I'm it. I'm 100% ready to take my shot. Um, Tamika literally just left a few minutes ago to get hers. Oh. I'll be able to get mine since I'm not in a hotspot as of May 15th, but I still have a Scarborough health card. Wow. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what you need to do, man? <laughs> do what you need to do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, Tamika and I were joking. Like, I don't need to jump the queue. I ain't seen nobody. Like, I mean, you know, like, Fair. not yeah. necessary, but if I wanted to, I could. Vaccine hesitancy continues to be a thing, though, eh? It is. It is. Like, lots of people really not feeling it, but... I I, I think that... um, There's a few things, right? I think that when people see people they know and trust get it, it'll change their minds, if not fully, at least partially. Yeah, I think that when they see that, uh, especially if, you know, COVID passports are brought in, I think that if people see that people are out and having fun or they're they're stopped from having fun, mm-hmm. that's going to, you know, hamper. People want to try. You know, we were talking just last week, for example, about Meryl Africa and her, mm-hmm. you know, asking, you know, where's support for, for like helping Canadians travel by plane? Mm hmm. Um, so a lot of people are going to want to do that. They won't be able to if they don't have their vaccines. FOMO's right? a real thing, man. FOMO's a real thing. So right. I, I yeah. think I, I think it's a problem that's going to decrease over time. I hope. Yeah. So uh, you ready for a good summer or not? Patience. Yes, man. <laughs> Woo! Been waiting. Summer, summer, summer time. Okay. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Jumping to the Canadian economy. 
The good news continues. According to StatsCan, Canada's GDP rose 0.4% in February, and a preliminary estimate shows a 0.9% gain in March, meaning we've experienced the 11th consecutive month of GDP gains after huge losses at the beginning of the pandemic. If that estimate ends up being fact, the economy grew 6.5% in the first quarter, bringing GDP to within 1.3% of its pre-pandemic levels. Not bad. So what caused the growth? Interestingly enough, Friday's report showed a bounce back in troubled industries. Service-producing industries grew by 0.6% in February, paced by a 4.5% jump in retail, as many provinces eased restrictions on stores. There was also accommodation and food services growth of 3.5%. As we know, real estate is carrying the economy, and all the hot transactions have positive consequences for that ecosystem. For example, the legal services industry, which sees a ton of its activity from property transactions, grew by 1.6% in February. Output by real estate and uh, sorry, real estate agents and brokers climbed 3.4% to a record high. The construction wow. industry rose 2%, and residential building construction was up 4.7%. At the same time, not all was good. That doesn't sound weird. At the same time, it wasn't all good. Six out of 20 industrial sectors fell in February. Goods producing industries shrank 0.2%. Mining, oil and gas extraction fell for the first time in six months because of lower demand from lockdowns in India and Brazil. And manufacturing dropped by 0.9% in February, although it's expected to jump 3.5% for March. Despite those setbacks, our economy's overall success puts us in rare company, as our streak of growth is only matched by the U.S. and Australia, while the U.K., Japan, and the EU have been less consistent. As Scotiabank Capital Markets head economist Derek Holt pointed out to investors, quote, Canada's economy remains among the most resilient major economies in the world in face of recurring COVID-19 risks. The start of the second quarter will likely be a setback due to the third wave of restrictions. But again, Canada has been resilient and posted economic growth throughout the rolling restrictions and easings, end quote. We can thank a whole lot of government assistance for that. This is great news. I was terrified that globally we were slipping behind, you know, other G7 countries. I I don't think I've ever really maybe looked into how their economies are managing the pandemic, but I I know that on the surface, it does look like, like Canada's kind of had a rougher time. Like I feel like we've been locked down for longer and, and being locked down means, you know, less retail, less spending, less like stuff. Um, So seeing that we've been really consistent um, for, sorry, did you say six months? Uh, no, almost a year now, 11 months. Almost a year, yeah. If, if we've been consistent for almost a year now, that is really, really great news. I was, yeah, I, I was really, wor- weren't you a little bit worried about like where we were measuring up and in comparison to other uh, large economies like ours? Honestly, I wasn't, but like. You weren't, hey? Like, like no, it, I mean, it's fair. If you, if you, you probably just have more insight and more knowledge than I do. Um, I, I thought the pandemic was going to ruin our economy, not because of the pandemic itself, but because of the way that we were managing it um, at the Ontario level, because Ontario is kind of driving a lot of, of our economy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I, I hear you. I, I guess it's for me, I 
I had been following the data and had known that, you know, despite the lockdown, just as this, you know, this particular story was, was pointing out, um, mm-hmm. the economy has remained resilient. So it, it wasn't, it wasn't really a question of how we were performing. I, I think it was for me, the realization, not even the realization, cause I know this stuff, but like it, it is, I appreciate seeing progressive policy and action and seeing the fruits of its labor. Mm. Um, and, and effectively that's what we're envisioning, uh, what we're seeing right now. Part of the problem for, you know, I, I could speak definitively on, on, on this in different countries. I try to be more circumspect when it comes to Canada only because we don't have as much data as we should to support these kinds of measures in our country. But what I do know based on other jurisdictions is that when you give, and we, and you know this, and, and, and anybody, who, anybody who studies policy and, and, and the economy and who's generally centrist or progressive knows that if you give money to people, to working class and middle class people, they spend, they spend and they grow the economy. Absolutely. Yeah. That's exactly what is happening here. And it is going to continue to happen. And guess what? Yeah. We, we've also talked about this repeatedly. Inflation has not gone up. Yeah. It's projected to remain under control. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to put that into perspective. Supporting your population is good policy. Moving on to blackity black black news this week. So this week, TD Bank apologizes after a black Ottawa resident details racist treatment at one of their branches. Keshna Spalding says employees at a TD Bank location in Orleans have questioned his checks or put the amounts on hold for absolutely no reason. Despite having been a TD customer for more than 20 years, Spalding never had an issue until he moved to this new neighborhood of Orleans. Mm. At this location, he said they've questioned every single check that he comes to the bank with. Wonder why. It gets worse. Spalding even said that employees would often huddle over printouts of his account history. As expected, Spalding says that he's lost sleep over the treatment that he's received at the bank. He says, quote, it's played in my head for months and months and months mm. to the point where when clients are giving me a check, the butterflies are coming in my belly because I know there's going to be an experience, end quote. Now, I know, and Curtis knows, this happens to BIPOC folks all of the time. But what happens next is really important for us all to learn from. Spalding filed a formal complaint with the company and has received what Carla Hindman, TD's manager of corporate and public affairs, described to CBC as an unreserved public apology. Hindman said TD is, quote, committed to providing a level of excellence for those we serve. And when an individual has the courage to speak out, we have a responsibility to listen and take appropriate action. Okay, so what's the action? Uh, I've been waiting, you know, like, I I don't want to lash out, but what are you going to do about it, Carla? (laughs) I want a one-two man's fired. I want a one-two man's fired. And, like, don't tell me, like, I get, I, they're probably going to try to do some training, but on top of that, like, you just need to remove bad apples. That's right. That's correct. And maybe throw a little something in there for, for our man here, yeah? yeah? Yeah, 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 I hope that, I mean, obviously he's going through the formal complaint with the company. Yeah. 
I guess given given the result of of what whatever that is, he may pursue legal action uh, with, 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 through a civil suit or something like that. But I mean, this has happened to me. Like you know, I've gone in and brought a check, and you know, had had the the, the people behind the counter who, no offense, fam, you're not even qualified to question where I got this money from. I'm telling you, like. I'm I'm not trying to get at people who are bank tellers, but sorry, that's not your that's not your role, eh? Yeah. So, mm, yeah. when you're exercising judgment, make sure that that judgment isn't kind of full of bias, full of anti-blackness. Yeah, because we can turn down the respect real quick. Well, what it reminds me of, Curtis, is I I watched um I watched uh, Green Book la- uh, two weeks ago. Yo, Have you, I, you know it? I haven't. I don't want to watch it because anyway, go on, please. Honestly, I, I I know that we we don't we don't have to be viewers of Black Pain, but it's a really interesting. The reason why I watch it, um, not often, but I, I I like to watch it as as a reminder of um, it's something that we talk about on this on this podcast all the time mm-hmm. is the difference between race and class, mm-hmm. because the story of Green Book is a story of this very very rich black man mm-hmm. in the fifties where being rich doesn't really matter if you're black, but then it kind of does. So it it gives you, it's a very strange mix of access and privilege and then no access and and no privilege. Mm -hmm. And so the the reason why it reminds me of of Green Book is because, you know, this is, this is a man who lives in New York city in like, like, Above, so far above the means of the white people who are calling him boy. Yeah. You know who you're talking to? Like, an internationally renowned, um, pianist. He has a doctorate in music. He has a, he, he, he has the president's brother's phone number in his phone. I'm telling you. Like he, like there, there was a, a scene where he's in, he he gets arrested, or, or they get arrested. He and his driver, mm-hmm. and his one call that he gets in jail, Curtis, is to um, JFK's brother, Bobby. Yeah, gotcha. to get him out of jail. Gotcha. Like and, and like and th- this is coming from a cop that just, or for, this is coming from a police station in the middle of buck fuck nowhere. Uh-huh. And they are, they can't even believe that they just beat this guy up and called him boy and made him do all this stuff. Like it's, it's excellent. So, so sorry, so, I don't, I don't want to take it too far, but you know, this, this case of what happened at TD Bank is that exact same thing. Yeah. You don't think that this man could bring you, you know, five figure or six figure checks. Yeah. You don't think that he could be better than you. Exactly. You can't fathom. That this person with this skin who you've been told one way or another all your life is beneath you, you can't fathom that he or she is better than you. Well, we'll be following this Spalding story as it develops. Next, an incident involving a black teen in Edmonton. So the family of a 14-year-old black boy is calling for arrests after a video surfaced last week of the teen getting beat up by a group outside of his school. The boy was identified by media as Pazzo. Mm -hmm. And has told reporters that, quote, they were saying the N-word, they were calling me monkey, that made me afraid to wear my own skin, end quote. He suffered a concussion and bruising all over his body and received hospital treatment, according to reports. Fucking nuts. 
this is the part that gets me though, Curtis. So fights are are you know fights. Yeah. But let, let's let's so so following the attack, Pazzo and his family reached out to Edmonton police. The officer who appeared at their house to investigate asked Pazzo if he instigated the assault. Oh yeah, because black people are violent. Pazzo said, when I said, no, I did not instigate the fight, he got angry. The officer got angry. Mm. Pazzo says, quote, he told me, your mom is not here. You can tell me if you started or you wanted to fight. And then I told him, why would I want to fight seven people? (laughs) I want to, I really want to paint this picture for people. Please. Because Pazzo is 14. Mm -hmm. His mom is not home. Mm-hmm. Why are you talking to this child without, uh, uh, like, you know, his his mom present? Maybe there was another adult present, but his mom is not present, and you're you're trying to to deceive him yes. and say your mom is not here. You can tell me if you wanted to. Like, what? Trying to coax him into telling a story that will save the white children. You and prove that racism isn't real. Honestly. Andrew Parker, co-founder of the Black Teachers Association of Alberta, told CBC News that the assault has to be called what it is. After hearing that the family wanted to pursue justice for the incident, Parker said that the association and the Black community in Edmonton mobilized to ensure the family received answers. Parker says, quote, We want this to be called what it is. This is a jumping of a Black boy based on his race. We're hoping that people in law enforcement, as well as in education, will address this effectively. If they do not address this effectively, the community is ready to mobilize and to move forward with our own plan of action, end quote. Parker said this incident is an opportunity for Edmonton police to set the standard for law enforcement for how to deal with racial incidents like this. Uh, For his part, Parker would like to see anti-racism education that is age-appropriate added to all levels of the education system. Parker continues, quote, to be a black man who was once a black boy who experienced similar situations, who had friends who experienced similar situations in a time where there was no social media, there were no cameras. So some of these things that happened were just swept under the rug. Mm -hmm. Now is the time to call for justice, end quote. The family is seeking criminal charges against the assailants. Uh, Pazzo's mom, Julianne, told reporters, I need justice adding that she wants a full investigation. For Pazzo, justice is them getting charged and not doing this to anyone else. Thoughts? I mean, I think I think we already gave our thoughts on this, but any, any further thoughts on this, Curtis? Yeah. Um, you know, thankfully, Pazzo's community uh, and many others across Canada, if not North America, um, are stepping up to support him in this time. There's actually been, so there is a GoFundMe for Pazzo and it's, raised $41,245 out of its $75,000 goal. And uh, this has only been in place for five days. So I'm sure he's going to meet that goal. And, uh, you know, Pazzo and his family deserve every every dollar of it. So if you can support, please do. And the link will be in our show feed. Hey, everyone. To respect your time, we thought we'd divide this episode into an episode with domestic news and another with international news. And you just reached the end of our domestic segment. The rest of episode 57 with world news is coming right up. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 